If you, if you read carefully this passage, you will see one occurring word again and again. And that word is the word of mystery. This passage is about mystery. Now, the word mystery often means something hidden that now has been, or something hidden that needs to be uncovered, need to be discovered, so to speak. Um, in, in a mystery story, some of you perhaps like mystery story, uh, Midsummer Murder, that kind of uh, whodunit shows. Often a person is killed way early on in the show, in the story, like five minutes into it, dead. Um, and then for the rest of the story, it's all about, or the audience is being taken on a journey to figure out who did it. Who killed it and how it was done. So throughout the story, we, we are left, the audience are left to guess. You know, some people are, are better than others in guessing. Uh, and you just hate it to watch with someone who's really good at this. You know, I mean, way in the beginning, it's, ah, he did it. And then you've discovered, oh, come on, how did you know? So quick and so early. And some people who say, yeah, who, who didn't say it. But then at the end, he said, yeah, I know, you know. Who knows? They never say. So that's, that's kind of mystery that we often know what it is, right? It's uh, hidden things that we, we are left to figure out, to find out. But our passage today, well, especially in the Bible, the word mystery does not mean that way. It, so it's not helpful, therefore, to read something that mystery and then we put our understanding of mystery and, and apply it here. Oh, it's mystery. It's something that we have to figure out. Something that we have to find out. That's not how the word mystery is used in the Bible. Um, the Bible uses it uh, not in a way that a hidden thing waiting to be, find out, um, to be found out, but it was a hidden thing that has been revealed to you, to us. So when, whenever you read the word mystery in the Bible, it means it was once hidden, now has been revealed. It's a mystery because it has been revealed to you. That's what the word means. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, what is the mystery that is so important? I said this chapter 3 is really the meat, the, the, the center of this letter. So what is the mystery? Why is it a mystery? And then how is the mystery revealed? Okay, what is the mystery? Why is it a mystery? And how is the mystery revealed? So what is the mystery? Uh, in a way... The answer to this question is simple and complex. It's simple because I already quickly explained it. Um, also, the Apostle Paul made it quite plain to us. So let's look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, see, this mystery is that, so this is giving you what the mystery is, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. The mystery is Gentiles, that means you and I, if you're not Jewish, you are Gentiles, according to the Bible. Uh, so they're Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles, you and I, are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He said, now we are the heirs. We inherit now. We are part of the inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's the mystery has been revealed now. It's a sim that's the simple explanation, what it is. The complex, it's, it's also complex at the same time because unlike mystery stories, 
we, we know uh, in a way that we can find out, depending how, how clever you are in, in, in this kind of uh, game or plot, uh, we may be able to find out and guess it quite early. However, it's complex in this case is because we cannot figure it out ourselves. So the mystery in the Bible is complex because it's not something that we can figure out ourselves. It's something that needs to be revealed to us. Okay, so that's why it's complex. So what is the mystery? The mystery is the gospel of Jesus Christ that include everyone, all humanity, regardless of gender, regardless of race, nationalities, regardless of who you are, you are included. You can be included in the kingdom of God, in God's family, to inherit eternal life. So everyone can be included through Jesus, that all humanity in Jesus can be saved. So that is the mystery. You see, from the be- this is mystery because from the very beginning, there's always this divide. There's always this distinction between people because people love to, di- you know, to differentiate themselves. Uh, to separate themselves from, for example, the haves like to separate themselves from the have-nots, the can from the cannots, right? Uh, the educated from the non-educated, one race from another, that's still common, still happening today, from one culture to another, um, men from women even. I think today it's more women versus men, uh, the feminist movement. Um, and that's why we, 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 we have labels for them, right? We have names for this. We call them what? Racism, sexism, classism, all kind of ism. Uh, from the very beginning, there's this uh, separation in a, in a way. In the Bible even, we can read that. There's the idea of Jews and Gentiles. So, in a way, the mystery of this revelation is that, the gospel mystery is that, it breaks all that. It breaks all that separation. It's no longer any separation. It's now one in Christ Jesus. So that's what Paul talks about. The question is how? It says that Jews and Gentiles, that means you and I, everyone, uh, get to inherit in the kingdom of God. And through one person, Jesus. Um, so all the ism are often, why, why there ism anyway? Why there are this kind of separation? All of that happen often because of our pride, if you think about it. Whether it's feminism or racism or sexism, it's all because of pride. We think highly of our group, our tribe, and look down on the other tribe. It's pride, you see. I'm not just saying the haves have all the pride and the have-nots have none of the pride. No! If you belong to the have-nots, the have-nots have lots of pride and they have, do not want to have any dealings with those who haves. They pride themselves to be in the tribe of the have-nots or the cannots. It does not matter where you belong. See, all, all of that oftentimes is because of pride. 
and all achievements versus the lack of achievement of others, what we have versus what people don't have or are lacking. And the mystery of the gospel is that it breaks all that. And I think that's good news, isn't it? I hope you see that as a good news. In the Bible, in the story of, of uh, Israel, the Jews have always believed that they, they are the only group of people, the only race under the universe uh, to have the key to eternal life. The Jews. Because they have God's law, and, and they are right in that sense. Other races and nationalities, you and I, uh, we may have laws and traditions, but only the Jews have God's law, the Creator's law. They have the insight, you see. So they are right in that sense, but they are wrong also at the same time. They are right in saying that they have God's laws and no one else have God's laws. They are right in saying that, but they are wrong to say that because they are good, that they are accepted by God, because they obey God's law, that's why they have been saved. See, some people, even Christian, not only Jews, Christian today still believe in a way that this separation exists because we are the people who obey. We are in, we are in favor with God because we obey. And there are those who are not in favor or out of favor from God because they do not obey. And the Jews believe that. Not, they, not only they believe only them have God's law, but they believe because they obey God's law. And that's, that's how the Pharisees that God and Jesus himself rebuke. Because the Pharisees pride themselves in obedience to God's law. And that very obedience to God's law is the one that Jesus say, you think you are right. You think you are right on the outside, but on the inside you are rotten. Whitewashed tomb was the words. So the Jews believe that their salvation because they, they have salvation, they have favor from God because they obey. When, when you look at the Ten Commandments in the Bible, uh, let's, let's turn to Exodus 20. We, we have that on screen. So this is where you, first time you'll hear the Ten Commandments. So you often hear the Ten Commandments, right? In a Christian tradition. It's an Old Testament thing. Um, let's read from verse 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So what is the first command in the Ten Commandments? A lot of traditions say the first command is, you shall have no other gods before me. Is that what you think? The first command in the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. If you take a look closer, and I think the Jewish Talmud got this right, the Jewish law got this one right. They believe the first commandment is not you shall have no other gods before me. That's the second commandment. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the first command is not even a command. It's a statement. 
So the first command is not what they should do to obey, to be in favor with God. No, God says that's not it. The reason you have all these nine, the rest of the nine commandments is because of what I've done for you. The first one, that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's what I've done for you. Has nothing to do of your obedience from 9 to 10. Uh, from 2 to 10, from 9 to 10, from 2 to 10. Has nothing to do with that, you see. God reveals himself, says, I am the Lord, your God. See, in, in, in a society where everyone has their own opinions, if God is God, then we need no human opinions. It does not matter whether you think he's God or he's not. If he's God, he's God. Just because someone thinks, or majority, even majority think he's not God, it does not make him no God. If he's God, he is God. Think about it. And God revealed himself to the Jews in, in this way. He said, I'm the Lord your God, who have saved you, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God does not need our opinions of him. He is God. If God needs our opinions of him, he's not God. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves that we are such a clever thing. Imagine if you create these little creatures, little invention that you are in. Imagine you are an inventor and you can cleverly make this little thing. And this little thing that you make think or have opinion of you. You would say to this little thing that you created, you say like, I created you. It does not matter what you think of me. I'm telling you who you are and who am I. And the only way that little thing can know who you are if you tell that little thing that you create who you are in a way that you reveal yourself to the creation. And that's what God is doing. So the first command is God revealing himself like I'm God. I've saved you. It has nothing to do with your obedience, that you are saved. That you are part of the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with what you do. You do because you have been saved. That's what God is saying. So only when they understand this, the first command, and believe it, that they can obey the rest. See, a lot of people struggle to obey God because they forget the first Think about yourself. Are you struggling to obey God's word, to live up to what God teaches? Let me tell you what the reason is. The reason is not because you lack of discipline. No. The reason you don't obey when you don't obey is because at that moment you don't believe God is God. If you believe God is God, you will obey. Because you, at that very moment, you don't believe God is God. You don't believe that God is all-powerful. You don't believe God is everywhere. You don't believe God is looking. At that moment, you disobey. When you start doubting God as He revealed Himself, that's when we disobey Him. So they were rescued, the Jews were rescued, not because they obey. They obey because they have been rescued. 
God says, I've rescued you. Now do this. Number 2 to 10. Now obey me. What the Jews uh, was given to by God, um, this salvation, where now the mysteries God, that Paul says now has been given to all. It was once only given to the Jews. Now this mystery has been revealed. It has been given to all. The inclusion of everyone, all the creations through Jesus and that's the gospel mystery. So that's the gospel mystery. So what does the gospel mystery mean uh, for us? Whatever we need, it means this. The first thing, whatever we need, to, we need to be safe, whatever that is needed to be safe, it's already done in Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 6. Whatever it is that we need to be safe. Some of us asking, okay, if there is God, and there is that life is eternal. God created for eternity. See, the Bible teaches us that God did not create us for 100 years. God created us for eternity, to live forever. Death is the result of disobedience. God's intention and master plan for humanity is live for eternity. Now, if you believe... Um, there is eternity, and you ask the question, how can I have this eternal life? What Paul's saying is, whatever you need, it's already done. And you have access to that in Christ Jesus. And that's the mystery. So that's what it, mean, uh, what it means for us. And the second thing is, it means also that we cannot be proud of what we have. So if you already have this faith, that you have Jesus, that you have eternal life, that when you die, you will live. In fact, when you die, that's the first time you really ever live. Then you cannot be proud of that either. So if you, if you think you are in the club, in the group of people who are safe, who know, who understand, you cannot be proud because it was given to you. The fact that you can comprehend, the fact that you can believe, the Bible says, because God has given you grace. Not because you some clever, your little brain can compute and can read and understand. Think about it from before you believe to the time you believe. That's God's work. That's what the Bible says. That's God's work. If God works in your heart, then only then you can believe. There's no amount of cleverness of human speech and arguments that can convince you to believe. Only God can. So if you believe, you cannot be proud of that either. So that's what it means to us. So do you see now how a Christian who understands the gospel, if you're a Christian and you understand this truth, you cannot be a racist. There's no way you can be a racist. I think to say a, a, a racist Christian is just an oxymoron. There's no such thing. If you are truly a Christian, someone who were the outcast before, the Gentile who were separated from God, now included not because of your own good, not out of your own merits, but because of, out of God's goodness, how can you be a racist? How can you then separate other people from your life knowing that you were once separated and god brought you in out of his own goodness 
And a Christian not only cannot be a racist, a Christian cannot be a misogynist. It just cannot be possible to accuse a true Christian who understands the gospel to be a misogynist. It's just outrageous. Or to be a Christian to hate other group of people who are different, who understand the gospel, then that is just outrageous. Outrageous. So that's the first point. The second point is this. Why is it a mystery? So it's a mystery, a gospel mystery. Why is it a mystery? Why is it called a mystery? Well, um, why is it so, in, in a way, why is it so, what is so mysterious about this gospel? Gospel means good news. This news, this idea of inclusion of everyone in Christ Jesus. Why is that so mysterious? Well, I'm glad you asked. I know you're asking that. I can hear you. Uh, see, people love, it is mysterious because people love the idea uh, of working towards what they want in life. No one likes the idea of being handed something to them because they feel there's more self-worth. Even, even you know, getting dull you know, handout from a government. It feels better if you feels like you're working something, you do something to get it. That you somehow you deserve it. Whatever it is, it feels better than if you feel like I don't deserve anything, somebody just gave it to me. See, as human beings, we don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of handed out something to us something being handed out to us. We want to earn it. We want to work towards it. Imagine if everyone get A's in school, if you're, if you're students. You feel like, everyone get A's? But imagine you just work a little bit harder and you get A+, and everyone get A's. You feel good about yourself, don't you? I got A+. I did something more than everyone else who get A's. Um, so people love that idea of working towards what they want to achieve in their life. Uh, my father always taught me one thing. My, my father is not, uh, if you know my family, it's my mom who look after the children, raise the family. My, my dad, it's primarily, you know, the breadwinner. But my father always taught us, the children, that there is no such thing as unsuccessful people. There is only lazy people. And if you grew up in a Chinese tradition, this, is, this has been said in many different ways. So my father does not believe that there are people who cannot, who, who, who cannot be successful. He said they're only lazy people. If you work hard enough, you'll be successful. See, working for what you want in life, and, and that, that, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's actually a good thing. And the Bible speaks a lot about against laziness. And just read the Proverbs. The, the Bibles speak a lot against laziness, okay? So don't get me wrong. Say, oh, I shouldn't do anything with my life uh, because God give us freely. No, the Bible teaches us to work hard. But the mystery, the gospel mystery is different in a way. It's different 
uh, it is a, a different world altogether compared to the principle that we know. See, other mysteries could be figured out, right? Except this one. The gospel mystery cannot be figured out by ourselves. So let's, let's look at Ephesians 3, 3 to 5. How the mystery was made known to me, this is Paul speaking, by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to these holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, it was not known before, but it's now been revealed, made known. He did not figure it out. No cleverness of human being can figure it out, but it is something that has to be revealed. Something so precious, like we got gifts this morning. Um, you know, we, you bring presents to people, we exchange gifts. Uh, Chris Kringle. You know, when, when you receive gift, the one that is amazing about receiving gift is when it is something that you don't deserve. The worst thing about receiving gift is, is the opposite of that, when you think you deserve it. Imagine this, you're receiving a gift from someone and then you open it up and say, yeah, well, I deserve this. How, how much a letdown of that? Think about it. It's amazing because, it, wow, how could someone get this for me so the amazingness the level of amazingness when receiving give is dependent on how you think and how much undeserved you think you are to receive that gift and and when it comes to the gospel god says none of us deserve this in fact god says everyone deserves eternal death See, when you die, you don't die because God created us for eternity. So either you have eternal life with Him or eternal death. God says all of us, because we rebel against God, we deserve eternal death. None of us deserve this grace, but He said it's been given to us freely and it's been revealed to you that everyone, not just the Jews, but everyone, who believe in Jesus can be part of this. So the mystery was hidden, but now revealed. Not the mystery was hidden, now discovered, okay? It doesn't, Paul doesn't say, it has now been discovered that we found out. No. It's not that it was one hidden, now discovered, but it was once hidden, now revealed. It was revealed to us. Now, about the gospel mystery, it was Revealed not just to Paul, but to each, every new believers today. See, people can hear these things, but it hasn't been revealed to them. To your friends and family who don't believe in this truth, it's because it hasn't been revealed to them. So when you pray to that person, your family and friends, so that they can see this truth. We want them to see this truth because this is a matter of life and death, right? You pray that God reveal to them this truth in their heart. Because there's no amount of arguments or head knowledge that could convince anyone to believe. 
It wasn't discovered. It was revealed. So pray to God that God will reveal the truth to that person. So it's different. The gospel mystery is different to any other mystery because it needs a divine revelation. It needs God's. You need God's hand to work in that person's life. So if you believe today, God's hand has work in your life. So you don't work for it. It's given to you. It's revealed to you. And that is a totally different principle that we grew up with, right? But why is it a mystery? Well, to look at that, we need to look at the reason why Paul told them, the Christians, about this gospel mystery. Why did Paul suddenly, it is, it's quite abrupt, you see. From what we've seen so far, this is quite abrupt, quite kind of disjointed in, in a sense from a flow of argument. Why did Paul say this about the gospel's mystery in the middle of talking about church, that, that um, how to live as a Christian, what it means to be a Christian? Well, he gives us the reason in verse 13. Verse 13, he says this. So I ask you, see the word so here? So Paul has explained, he said, now, so I ask you, after, after all that I've said about this gospel mystery, the reason is this, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So the reason the apostle Paul tells Christians in Ephesus about the gospel mystery is so that they will not lose heart over the suffering that Paul is experiencing. And this is amazing because Paul's writing this letter from prison. This is one of the prison epistles, the letters that Paul wrote in prison while he was in prison, while he was going through suffering. He said, don't lose heart over me, over what I'm suffering. See, Paul um, wants to comfort them, wants to encourage them. Think about this. If you want to comfort someone, if you want to encourage someone, what do you say? It's okay. It'll be all right. If somebody just got fired, he said, don't worry, you're going to get another job. If you've been dumped by your you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, it's okay, you find a better person. It's her loss. It's his loss. That's how you comfort people. That's how we comfort and encourage people. That's not how Paul comforts people. Paul doesn't say, don't worry, I'm going to be released. No, Paul, Paul doesn't know that. In fact, he could well believe, he might well believe that he will be executed, killed soon. So how, how, does he, how did he comfort and encourage them? He tells them the gospel truth. Do you want to comfort someone, truly comfort someone that has substance, that they can cling on tightly, regardless how deep the suffering is? Tell them the truth of the gospel. Don't give them pet answer. You see, when you tell someone who just lost someone they love, say, you know, they'll be with God. You'll see them again in heaven. That's a pet answer. When you tell someone who's just been dumb, say, don't worry, you'll find another person better. That's a pet answer. That will not comfort anyone. Maybe for a bit. They need, they need solid gospel truth for them to be able to go through suffering, real suffering in their life. And Paul understands that. And Paul gives them the solid 
reason for why they should be cheerful in the suffering of Paul. That's amazing, isn't it? So the key here to face suffering, to face suffering is all, all kinds of suffering in life is if we understand the gospel as, as what Paul is saying to the Christian in Ephesus. Do you know how you want to face difficulty and challenges in life and not be moved by it? Understand this truth that Paul is explaining. We understand, when we understand the gospel, the gospel is this, that we are saved by grace alone. Grace means that it was given freely to us, not because we deserve it. In fact, quite the opposite, because we don't deserve it. Something that you don't deserve, you cannot buy it, you cannot earn it, because you don't deserve it. You, it's so expensive that the only way for you to receive it is if somebody give it to you freely. And that's grace. So when we understand this gospel that we receive as grace from God, we can face all kind of suffering in our life. Because we know, the first thing is because we know that we are suffering not because God hates us or because we have offended God or because we made a mistake or because we have not read our Bible or because we have not been kind to one another. That's why God is punishing us. See, there are all kinds of religions that think God is some sort of a, a sadistic God who like looking at the creation and try to find fault at us. Oh, you didn't worship me today. I'm going to give you sickness. Oh, you didn't do this right. I'm going to give you this problem in life. That's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible is a God of love who gave his only son to save the people who cannot save themselves. So when you understand this gospel, we can face all suffering because we know it is not God punishing us, that God hates us. In fact, we know that God loves us loves us enough to give us his own son to die for our sins. We know our struggles and suffering is, it is not eternal. It's temporary. We can face all kinds of suffering because we know our struggles is temporary in comparison to the eternal life promise through the gospel in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to chapter 3, the opening verses. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. See how amazing this is. He's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. It's the Romans who imprisoned Paul Yet he say he's not a Roman prisoner, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Do you see that when you face suffering in life, you don't longer see it's like people's offending you, that some, somebody is like out to get something, to, to, to get you. Paul doesn't see it that way. When he's in prison, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. See, he put this lens of eternity not on this temporary world that we sometimes so focus on. That's why we get so depressed. Because this is it. We get depressed because this life is it. If we don't make it in this life, that's it. We, we're doomed. 
we think. You see, Paul doesn't see it that way. We get depressed when you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 or I'm 20. Look at my life. I'm, I'm still miserable. I'm still so poor. I still don't know much. I'm still this and that. It's because our lens of folk, uh, the lens that we put, in, put on is the lens of temporary life that we have on earth right now. Everything, it's just we have to get it done in this life. But if you have a lens of eternity like Paul, you say like, I'm in prison, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. If I die tomorrow, I'll be with Christ tomorrow. That's all the better. You see what Paul is boasting here? He's a, that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul has many things in his CV, on his CVs to boast about. Yet when he boasts, he boasts about his weakness. 2 Corinthians 11.30 says this. This is Paul. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, that's quite the opposite to most of us. When we boast, what do we boast? We boast what we have, what we achieve, what we've done better than other people. That's what we boast about. But Paul says, if I must boast, I boast of the things that show my weakness. Somebody who can boast in their weakness understand what eternity is. That this life is temporary, but life with Christ is eternity. They understand what matters and what doesn't matter in life. So when you can laugh at your weakness and mistakes, you have seen the true light. You have put on the light, the, the lens of eternity. Can you laugh at suffering? Can you laugh at weaknesses and failures in your life and say, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. My success and my failure today does not define who I am. I am the son of the most high God. Beloved, by the king of kings do you know this amazing gospel truth in your life do you not when i say no means do you believe this this gospel mystery that you are loved by god regardless of your performance how well you do in life do you believe it final thing is how is the mystery revealed the mystery has been revealed to Paul and now to you, if you're a Christian, has been revealed to you. The questions for all of us Christians that we must ask is this, how can we then reveal this gospel mystery to others? Right? I hope you ask this. God has revealed it to me. How can this gospel truth be revealed to others, especially people that we love, whom we know if they don't believe in Jesus, they will face eternal death. Well, remember, Paul is writing this letter to Christians. Now he's telling them about what it means to be a Christian and to be the church. Let's look at verse 7 and 10. 7 to 10. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. Do you see that? What did Paul say? The mystery will be made known, how? Through the church. How can we tell others? How can this gospel mystery be revealed to others? Paul says through the church. Sometimes you want to do any other way. Sometimes we, we discounted church. Oh, church is just a tradition. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have to follow tradition anymore. Church is optional. If this is true, if we believe what Paul says, then church is not optional. It says the gospel, the gospel mystery can be revealed through you, through the church. The world can see and feel the magnitude of this gospel through the church. Church, our job is to reveal and to show the world this mystery, this gospel mystery, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. So when church come together of different races, of different socioeconomy, of, of different educational level, of different cultures and background, come together in harmony, loving one another, forgiving one another, people will take notice. People will start to take notice. But when the church only come together with their own kind, only loving the people that they love or, and love them, then we are no different to the world. We are, we are the same. See, we often think that our success display God's glory. Christians believe this. When you're successful, we believe that's when we display God's glory. That's when people will notice us. Or then that's when people will listen to us. But that's not true. But we love to think about that. Uh, remember, Paul's writing from prison. He did not write this to influence people from his penthouse or from his corner office with amazing view of the city of Jerusalem. No. He's writing this from prison. Just, if you don't believe me, just ask any Christians today, young people especially, even old, why they want to be successful. Do you have a reason why you want to be successful? Well, let me tell you, Christians have a spiritual answer to this question. They say they want to show God's glory. They want to testify to God's glory to people. That's their spiritual answer. Why do you want to be successful? They want to show the world of God's glory, that God is good, that Jesus is amazing. Ask any church why they want to be successful, why they, the church want to be big and flourishing. Because they say, we want to show God's glory. We want to show the world of God's goodness. See, that is not wrong, but can be misleading. Because it assumes when someone is not successful, when church is not big and like have so many people and flourishing, then we cannot show God's glory. So only the rich and the successful can show God's glory. If you are you're failing in your life, if you're not doing so well in your life, if you're just average, you, you can't really show God's glory. So that's misleading. Can, me, can you imagine, though, if, that's, if, 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 that's what, if that is true? 
that we can only show how amazing God is depending on how amazing we are, then it is not God's glory that we are showing. We're showing our own glory, how amazing we are, right? And not only that, God's glory that is so magnificent becomes so small because how successful can you be? How amazing can you be? How glorious can you be? So God's glory is limited by your own glory and success. So Paul, um, and, and also if, if, if we can only show God's glory based on how amazing we, can, we, 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 we are doing in our life, then think about the 12 disciples of Jesus. How many of them, how many of them qualified? To be disciples to show God's glory if, if it's based on success human achievements so Paul points here is that why is it such a mystery why the gospel is such a mystery is because the church can display God's glory to the world despite of all its weaknesses and failures despite of all the shortcomings when sinful people come together and still can forgive one another mistakes. People can take notice that we are just broken people, but we have grace of God. We can forgive not because we are great, but because we have been forgiven. We can love not because that person is lovable, because we have been loved. That's how we can show God's glory. See, it's easy to be happy and cheerful and to be kind when, when we have a good family, when family is all well, when job's going well, when bank account is quite high, the balance is quite high. When, when all going our way, it's easy to be happy and cheerful. And you don't need Jesus for that, do you? Think about it. If you have all that, you don't need Jesus to be happy. But you know, none of those things will last it may last for a hundred years it may last for two or three generations but it will not last for eternity now paul learns that the gospel need to be revealed to others not through our power not through our greatness but through our weakness you know how you can testify about God's goodness? Can you share the gospel with your neighbors? Let me give you one tip. Sometimes we want to come and share good news and we can't to our neighbors because we, we have this mentality. I have to show that I'm, I got it all together. Then I can share the good news. How can I share the good news if my life is such a mess? Right? I, I need to put on the good face, so to speak. If, if you're married, you say... I cannot show them that we fight, husband and wife. I want to show them that we, we are the most beautiful, harmonious couple they've ever seen. Then I can testify. That's why he puts such a burden on us, such a pressure on us, to the point that disable us from sharing the good news to our neighbors. That's not the way. Let me tell you the way. It's not coming in power, in all glory, but come in weakness. When you show vulnerability to your neighbors, they will start seeing he's just like us. He's no different, but something is different. Not because he's perfect, not because he's good, not because, you know, husband and wife never fight. Parents, 
never scold their kids and kids always obey their parents. It's not. When you show vulnerability, you will start have opening with your family and friends to share the good news of the gospel because we are broken people. Start. See, we, we want to be helpful to our neighbors. You know how you can start being helpful? Show them that they can help you first. That's a trick. When you show them that you need their help, guess what? When they need help, they'll come to you. They say, oh, Aaron, he came to me five times before asking for help. Now, surely I can ask him for help. You know why your neighbors never come to you and ask for help? Because you always have this aura of glory, of power. Everything is in control. We don't need nobody in our life. But that's not true. That's not true. We're putting up a face, putting up a wall. Vulnerability, that's how you show God's glory. In your weakness, that's how you show God's glory. So don't miss how, what Paul is in trying to encourage the church, you and I here. See verse 10 again, it says, Be made known to me, to be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Who's that? Who is the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? This is not your neighbors. This is not your friends. These are not human beings. These are the angels and demons. See, no suffering, no struggles that you're going through be ever be pointless. Sometimes we think we suffer. Why do you suffer? It's for God's glory so that my family can see my faith and then they believe. How can I say my neighbor believe because they saw how I struggle, right? But this is amazing. In verse 10, Paul says, be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says, even when there's no one looking at it, looking at your life, it's still worth going through it because the rulers and authorities in heavenly places is forever watching imagine your suffering no one knows about your suffering imagine you going through that suffering and come out victorious come out faithful to god but no one knows no one knows about it you say it's, it's wasted but paul says it's not wasted it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. No suffering ever pointless. They are watching your every move. Remember the story of Job? Remember why Job suffers? It's because Satan says to God, this Job, he obeys you and worship you because you blessed him. Just take the blessing away and he will curse you. Job suffers for whom? In a way, God showing off Job's faith to Satan. So if, even if there's no one in your life looking at your faith, the angels and demons are watching. That's what Paul is saying here. Be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this is how the church, you and I, Christians, can reveal the gospel's mystery by showing that Jesus is our treasure. Not our spouse, not our family, not our job, not our success, not, our, not even our failures. Now, 
if you can only be kind to those who, who are kind to you, then Jesus is not your treasure. You, because you still treasure someone's attention. You can only be kind to those who are kind to you. If you can only be gen- generous to those who have, uh, when, when you have plenty, you say, I can be generous when I have plenty, then Jesus is not your treasure. Why? Because your treasure is your wealth. So when I have plenty, then I can be generous. If you can only be happy when all is well in your life, then Jesus is not your treasure because you still treasure a comfortable life. If my life is not comfortable, I cannot be happy. But if you treasure Jesus, you can be happy no matter what comes your way. So the gospel mystery is this. When the rest of the world tell us to get power, and in order to get power is to exercise power, you know, use grit and determination and get power. But that's not the gospel. The gospel mystery is the opposite. It says Jesus exercised the ultimate power by surrendering his life. How do you stem authority? Let's say you just started a new job. How do you stem your authority? That I know much, you know, I may be new here, but look at my experience. You will try to chip in, right? It's just to give them clue how experienced you are, how amazing you are, right? In every conversation. But Jesus says you exercise power by surrendering power, by showing your weakness, by being vulnerable. And that's what he did on the cross. He showed the ultimate power. He defeated death. Not by crushing death using iron fists, but by open arms nailed to the cross. That's how he showed ultimate power. So do you see what Jesus' treasure is on the cross? He didn't seek power. He didn't seek approval. He didn't seek influence. Do you know what his treasure is? When he was vulnerable, nailed to the cross? You. That is, you are his treasure. When he died on the cross, he said, you know my treasure is? You are. So today, not many people may see your faith when you are in your room crying to God. Not even your spouse may know your deepest struggle in your life. But God sees. The angels and demons sees. Sometimes you may think that, why bother? I should just give up. I hope this is an encouragement. Paul says, don't give up. So how do you display Jesus as your treasure in your life? Is what I want to leave with you this morning. The world is watching. How do you display it? Let us pray.